1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll be looking specifically at verse 13 uh, for most of the morning, but uh, as a continuation of you defined. You defined. We're an heir of living hope. And so how does that build our profile? What is part of uh, an heir of living hope? We'll see this morning that we are an active participant in God's plan. An active participant in God's plan. Now, Next screen is something that you probably hear a lot this time of year, Christmas, the what time of year? The magical time of year, right? And so that seems to be, you know, it just brings this nostalgia. It's a time when, you know, wayward kids come home. It's a season when high school romances are revived 15 15 years later in rural hometowns during quaint Christmas celebrations, you know, as Hallmark depicts those. And uh, it's a holiday when kids receive the special gifts they always dreamed of getting, it's a period of uh, when sadness uh, seems to, to go away and gloom gives way to holiday cheer and the festive lights. It's the magical time of year. At least that's what is presented. That's what we see. That's what we hear. It can seem sometimes like a time where we just hope that the good things will just happen to us. Maybe the classics like It's a Wonderful Life or White Christmas. Maybe you've seen some of those and that kind of leans into that idea that, you know, this is just when the, the beautiful things happen, it's during Christmas, the magical time of year. Hallmark is huge into all of that. I don't think it's necessarily just to give us good feelings. I think they like the money that comes with it as well. But some of the top 25, I'm not going to list all of them, but some of the top 25 Hallmark Christmas movies Give this idea, listen up, A Prince's Christmas, Christmas Everlasting, The Christmas Secret, A December Bride, A Gingerbread Romance, The Mistletoe Promise, Coming Home for Christmas, and I'll Be Home for Christmas. Those are kind of some of the past of the top 25 Hallmark Christmas movies. But if you've seen all of those and you want more, Hallmark released in September a list of 40 new Christmas movies for this season. Hopefully you have not watched all of them, but so 40 of them, some of those that are coming out are Mystic Christmas, Letters to Santa, Christmas with a Kiss, Magic and Mistletoe, The Secret of Christmas, Time for Her to Come Home for Christmas, Miracle in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And so all of these things that Hallmark puts out that just, it just kind of lends this idea to, you know, this is exciting. And so uh, the next slide is we kind of see This is kind of the idea, you know, just the the glamour and things are going to come true. But what about when it doesn't? Just, uh, I think it was just yesterday, the day before, this is a legitimate article CNN uh, put out. And so it says, you know, um, could the most magical time of the year be so full of loneliness, anger, and stress? Christmas depression, holiday blues. These are real things. I mean, this this is something that people experience uh, year in and year out, even during and certainly after the magical time of year. It's when the Black Friday deals turn into Black Friday debt. It's when the magic becomes begins to look more like misery. It's when the Christmas lights in your home are only masking the darkness in your heart. And you begin to feel this like, man, it's not so magical anymore. Uh, the, the feeling is not, is not there. Uh, Newsweek has a, they had a, an article um, and it said this, the exact cause of these feelings will vary from person to person, but often they are triggered by unrealistic expectations of what the holiday season should be like. Because we have this idea that Christmas should generate this just awesome stuff. 
Other articles did just a quick look online were post-holiday blues, spotting the signs and how to cope, how to cope with Christmas depression, how to beat the post-holiday blues. Uh, Focus on the family has an article, post-holiday depression. Do you feel depressed after the holidays? So these are things that people experience. But Newsweek, a secular magazine, kind of hit it, you know, uh, on the nail there when it says most of that is because of unrealistic expectations about what Christmas should really generate. We, we have this thought that passively these things are just going to happen. And as we think about the birth of Jesus, the birth of baby Jesus, as you think about any other birth, babies are completely passive in that process. They don't plan the day they're going to be born. They don't have a choice in what hospital they're going to be born at. They don't even have a choice of their name. I mean, they're completely passive in that process. Yet, Baby Jesus is the only baby that's ever been born that was very active before, during, and after that whole process of being incarnate, coming to be flesh, to dwell among us. Jesus, this wasn't just an, a passive thing. Sometimes as we see the nativity and as we sing the songs, we can even think, you know, Jesus, little baby Jesus is just passively laying there. That was all part of God's sovereign plan of coming from heaven, of coming from God, that God the Father sent God the Son uh, to be an active participant, to be an active Savior, to bring redemption to all of mankind and to you and to me. So in Christ's model, as we follow his example, here in 1 Peter, as we continue through the book, we are called to be active. We are called to action. Notice 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action... And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now I want to focus, first of all, it says, you know, prepare your minds for action. But let's start at the very first word. It says, therefore. This is based on the first 12 verses. In the first 12 verses, there's not imperative commands. There's not this sense of urgency. But it's a reflection on all that God has done for us. The the living hope, how it's imperishable and how God reserves that in heaven. How God keeps you and me who are followers in Jesus Christ secure in his hands. So based on all of that, verses 1 through 12 and then verse 13 says, Therefore, so because of all of that... What's supposed to happen? The next thing it says, preparing. Therefore, preparing. And in the original, the idea here is to to gird up. I don't know about you, but I don't use that language a whole lot. You know, when Michael's getting ready to go to school, I don't say, gird up, son, your belt. You know, I don't say those types of things. But that's the idea. And the the idea is back in the old times as as the men would wear longer clothing, almost looking like robes, when they were ready to run or maybe even to go into battle, they would lift up the bottom of that, tuck it in their belts, and they would be girding up their clothes or their robe for action. They were getting ready for action. So it says, therefore, preparing, girding up, cinching the belt. Some of us may know in a modern times, buckle the seatbelt. Here we go. And so that's kind of the idea. It's based on everything we see 1 through 12. Now verse 13, let's go. Let's get ready for action. There's a response that we should have to that. And it's supposed to be uh, a, a focused hope. So notice this. Set your hope in Christ, not in your circumstances. We see this next in verse 13 as well. Set your hope in Christ, not in your circumstances. So verse 13, therefore preparing your minds for action. Being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
So now I want to break down kind of the rest of that verse. First of all, we see a focused hope. Because notice it says, therefore preparing your what? Your minds. So it's not just this, you know, mechanical thing. It's not just this list of do's and don'ts, you know, that, hey, to be a Christian, you got to kind of do these things and you don't do these things. It's not about that. It's just to prepare your minds for action. And then it says, in being sober-minded. It's to see the world as God sees it. Kim's dad was a, a painting contractor, and so wherever we would go, restaurants, homes, businesses, he would notice the paint job. That was, just, that was just kind of his mindset. If there was wallpaper on the wall, he would notice if the seams uh, matched. I didn't look at those things, but he would point them out. Oh, man, somebody did a poor job here. The seams didn't match. Clay does custom blinds, so as Clay goes into homes, he notices blinds. He notices what types of blinds, how they're living, you know, all of these things, because that's, that's part of what they do. And so as believers, we need to pray, God, help us to see the world around us as you see it. Help us to, to get in that mindset that we prepare ourselves for action, seeing everything around us as you do. Notice Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. So we've been in 1 Peter. We're going to stay there. But notice what Paul says about a similar idea. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now that first phrase, if you have been raised with Christ, it's better understood really in English to say, since you have been raised with Christ. It's not an idea like, well, maybe. But since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Don't be satisfied with the things of the world. Don't, don't look to the things and be distracted by those things that, that draw us away from a close relationship with Jesus Christ. Then verse 2 of Colossians chapter 3. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Often our emotions can get really whacked out when we set our expectations in the things that are fleeting, those things that, that don't last, the things that aren't permanent, the things that can go away, the things that can change drastically. And just in, as quick as that, as we heard even Jeremy talking about it, you know, a car accident, just in a few seconds, how our life can change so quickly to set the things, our mind on the things that are above, not on things of earth. As we continue in Colossians chapter 3, verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. In essence, as a believer, I really shouldn't consider that I have life in, in anything else apart from my connection with Jesus Christ. That's what gives me life. That's what gives me purpose. My life should be so connected with Christ that it's like hidden in him. That I find my satisfaction, I find my purpose, I find my joy as I grow in my relationship with him. Colossians 3, 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, I read that fast and you may have missed kind of the emphasis on the first part of that verse. Notice, when Christ, who is your life, appears. I think if you're like me, it's easy to think about my life and think about a lot of different things. I think about my wife. I think about my kids. I think about what God has called me to do as a pastor. I think about things that I enjoy, about riding my bike, and I think about foods that I enjoy. I think about a lot of things. But Paul reminds us, he says, when Christ, who is your life, 
This is really the essence of life for a believer is found only in Jesus Christ, our Savior. When Christ, who is your life, appears. Now, as we, as we think about our life, as we think about how, how much it's hidden or, or founded, rooted in Jesus Christ, let's reflect on that a little bit. Christ, as he was born, he came for action. He came and displayed to us in so many different ways how much he loved us, how much he was willing to sacrifice for us, and he was a, a God of action. He was focused. His brothers originally didn't believe his message. Many among the religious elite hated him and plotted to kill him. His own disciples often misunderstood him. And they, 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 they would misquote him and they didn't, they didn't quite grasp all that he was telling them. So much so that when he was led to crucifixion, many of them abandoned. Some followed kind of from a distance. But Jesus had told them, this is what's going to happen. But they didn't, they didn't get all of that. Christ remained focused on fulfilling the will of God the Father. Our minds, our emotions, our expectations, we can be sidetracked by the, the magic of Christmas. We can be sidetracked by, by the beauty of a lot of the things that we see this time of year and miss really the purpose that Christ has for us. Prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded is basically a challenge to keep our minds under control. The metaphor here is, as you think about someone getting drunk, if they're drunk with alcohol, then their mind is not controlled. And, and they could go from, from just hilarious laughter to, 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 to just uncontrollable anger like that. Because it's out of control. And so the metaphor is being used here is that, listen, prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. Keep, keep yourself under control. Keep your mind in tune. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, verse 4, are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And then verse 5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Take every thought captive to obey Christ. I want to explore that imagery a little bit. So going back, remember, to, to gird up, to, to cinch the belt, to tie down, to get you know, part of the loose parts of the robe and tuck them in the belt to get those things under control, to get ready for action. Okay, so let's, let's think about this in a modern way. Michael uh, plays soccer. We've enjoyed watching him play soccer with other you know, kids his age. But something that seems to be common with boys his age is they don't quite tie their shoes securely. So often during the games, there's boys that are running around and their, their shoes are untied. And it's not uncommon to hear a dad or a mom yell from the sideline, Johnny, tie your shoe or you're going to trip. So they tie their shoes three, four, five times you know, during the game. And sometimes a mom will kind of Go, come out right on the sideline and do the double knot. Like, all right, go, boy, you know, get back in there. But why, why is that? Well, as mature, knowledgeable adults, we know the deeper things in life and that as you run, as you run more with your shoes untied, eventually you're probably going to trip. Spiritually speaking, think with me as we, as we think about our thoughts. 
If we allow kind of the strings to be untied and they're just, they're taken here and they're taken there. James describes it in the book, uh, in in his letter as an unstable or a double-minded person. So as we allow our thoughts just to be carried away and whoo, we're over here and we do this and follow this and then wow, we're all the way over here. And so Peter's saying, no, listen, gird up. Bring, bring your mind under control. Bring those thoughts back under the control of the Holy Spirit and get ready for action. We see it's a focused hope, but also it is a full hope. It's a full hope. Notice again verse 13 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Emmanuel, God with us. He didn't come half-heartedly to earth. He didn't negotiate a deal in heaven. He didn't say, hey, you know, God the Father, listen, I'm willing, okay, I'm gonna go to earth and I'll do some things like humans do, but listen, I don't want the whole package, okay? I'm just gonna be a demigod. I can be maybe, maybe half-human, but I don't wanna experience everything they experience. I mean, that's a little much. No, he did it, he did it full. He did the whole thing. It was 100% God, 100% man. Something that you and I, until this side of heaven, will never fully understand. But as he became the incarnate Christ, he experienced all that we experience. And we're going to do a quick run through just to, to refresh your memory. Notice this. He didn't hold anything back. He faced temptation for us, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. All of us are tempted. Jesus was as well. He experienced hunger for us, Matthew 4, 2. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I would say so. 40 days and 40 nights. I mean, if I go, you know, four hours, I'm getting a little, you know, I need a snack. But four, and Ken's like, yep, that's right. You know, David's walking into the pantry, getting the pretzels. I mean, that's just how I kind of graze all through as I study. I just have stuff and I, just kind of how I operate. Jesus was 40 days and 40 nights while being tempted. He was hungry. He experienced these things as humans, as you and I experience. He allowed himself to become exhausted for us. John chapter four and verse six. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, notice this, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the, the sixth hour. I'm, I can guarantee that every one of you, me included, we experience exhaustion. Sometimes we get to the point and we just feel like, I, I, can't, I can't do anything else, I'm done. I, my body is just shutting down. Jesus allowed himself to experience exhaustion for us. He was wearied, from his journey. He felt sadness and compassion for us. John eleven thirty five, 35, the shortest verse in the New Testament, but yet one of the most impactful says, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. I don't think he wept because he was afraid that Lazarus was never going to come back. He himself would just a few minutes later say, Lazarus, come forth. But I believe that Jesus wept as he looked at Mary and Martha and he, he noticed the Jews that had come to console the two sisters and, and it, was, it was very real and fresh that this is a broken world. These are people before me that need my redemption. And Jesus wept, showed compassion. Matthew nine thirty six. when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless 
like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus allowed others to misquote him, misunderstand him, and even betray him. Matthew 27, verse 39, And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. They were mocking a prophecy that Jesus had given about uh, tearing down the temple and rebuilding it in three days. And they thought, how absurd. How can Jesus, one man, tear down this magnificent structure and then in three days build it back again? But yet he was prophesying his death, burial, and resurrection as the Savior and the conqueror of death and sin forever. But yet they misunderstood him. They misquoted him. King of Jews, you say you are. But he allowed himself to be betrayed. Luke chapter 22 and verse 48. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? I think it's impossible for us to, to fully understand the emotions that Jesus Christ felt at that moment. Jesus knew all along that Judas would betray him. Yet Jesus loved him. Jesus had washed his feet. Jesus had performed miracles in his presence. Jesus had walked with Judas for three years. He says, Judas, you can betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Jesus did not avoid the emotional agony of taking upon himself not just your sins and not just my sins, but the sins of the entire world. So much so that we see in Luke twenty two forty four, 44, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Jesus continued to fulfill the plan of redemption even when others abandoned him, we see in John 16, 32. Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet, I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. Jesus willingly gave his life so that you could experience abundant life, both now and for all eternity. John chapter 10 and verse 10. First of all, Mark 10, 45, rather. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they, and I like to personalize that for you, that you may have life and have it abundantly. Christ didn't hold anything back. He didn't negotiate anything with God the Father. He came at full willingly, and even we see in Hebrews, it says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. I, 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 can't, I can't completely grasp that idea, cross and joy in the same sentence, but it says Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, as he was looking to fulfill this eternal plan of redemption for you and for me. He didn't hold anything back. And Christ's followers shouldn't hold anything back. Let's jump back to 1 Peter 1 and verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. Being a follower of Christ is not passive. It's not something you just do on Sunday mornings. It's not just something that, that is done when it feels good. It, it, is, it is a call to action to follow him as our shepherd. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice what we're going to see here, here next in this phrase, and then we'll see it played out in the verses 
all here in 1 Peter. The truths of what Christ has done in the past and what Christ will do in the future should affect your life in the present. So what he's done in the past was just saying that the lady's saying, you know, what he's done and all of what he's done in the past then what he will do in the future as we look forward to the grace that will be revealed to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whether it's, it's in the rapture as he takes believers up to himself or whether it's we, we meet him uh, in eternity, we look forward to that future day. But all of those things, past and, and future, should affect now. Notice what we see. We see this in 1 Peter, verse, Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, notice, he has caused us, past tense, to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We look back to that. Those of us who know Christ, we look back to that. But then we also look forward, 1 Peter 1.13, again, therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that, notice, will be brought to you, future, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He has caused us, wasn't something that I was worthy of, it wasn't something that I earned, I couldn't pay money for it, that by, by God's grace and, by, and just by, by responding in faith to the gift, I was given that gift of salvation. The future grace is also something that I can't fabricate. I, I cannot make Christ come back. I can, it's just going to happen because he will do it. And then notice how it should affect our present. 1 Peter 1.21. Who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. Now notice, so that your faith and hope are in God. You look past to what he's done. To, to the being an heir of the living hope through, through this imperishable uh, gospel and salvation that he's given to us. You look forward to the knowledge that, yes, Jesus will come back. He will reign uh, and, and we will be with him for eternity. You look forward to that promise and then that should affect my faith and my hope are in God. I'm rooted. My thoughts don't have to go everywhere. I don't have to have the untied shoelaces flying around in my, in my mind. I, I need to gird up. I need to cinch those in and prepare for action as I look forward to what Christ has done. So notice this in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Now notice... It's extremely important to understand that you first become a child of God. That's verses 1 through 12. That's the first thing. It's not like we try to become obedient and try to earn our spot into the family of God. No, we are, we're born into, we're, we're given the salvation. We, we respond in faith to the gift and we become children of God. And then the emphasis is we should be obedient children. That is part of being a follower of Christ. It's not like this, okay, maybe I, maybe I want to, maybe I, no. But that is part of being a follower, of being a believer, is to follow him. So as obedient children, do not, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. And then verse 15, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. And you might think, oh, okay, here it is, pastor. Now you're talking about how my life needs to change, things that I need to give up and let go. Well, I don't deny that. That is part of it. 
It's not part of your salvation, but it's part of our response. It's part of the understanding that that anything outside of Christ that I set my hope in, it's not worth setting my hope in. That at some point that will fail me if it's a relationship and I'm putting my hope in that relationship and I put Christ aside. At some point, as best as that person could be, that person's going to fail us. Some of you may remember Chris Anderson back in March as he was preaching in the cafeteria and his wife was, was with him. He said, listen, my wife is a wonderful wife, but if I put my, my hope and my faith in her as a God, she's a terrible God. And you can say that about any friend, as close as they may be. If you try to elevate them to the position of God in your life, you will be dis- disappointed. They will fail you because none of us are ever meant to occupy that position of God. But yet if we, we look to him and we put our, our hope in him, he's faithful. Every year, year in and year out, all throughout the years, not just at Christmas time, but faces of millionaires, faces of famous actors and actresses, phenomenal athletes, powerful politicians, we see their faces come across the news. And often it's broken marriages, it's bankrupt businesses. It's suicides because as they have placed their hope in false things, it doesn't end well and it won't end well for you either. You're not special. You're not unique. If you choose anything else besides Jesus Christ, I'm just, I'm saying this lovingly, it will not end well for you. That's a promise. Notice Proverbs chapter 14 verse 12. There is a way that seems right to a man. But its end is the way to death. Now notice the next verse. I'm very familiar with Proverbs 14, 12, but I have not read as much Proverbs 14, 13. Notice this. Even in laughter, the heart may ache. And the end of joy may be grief. Sounds a lot like Christmas depression and holiday blues. That in the moment, in the parties, in the lights, in all these things, yeah, you know, we, can, we, we kind of enjoy that to a certain extent, but, it, but all the while, there's an emptiness that still is not filled. It's like, well, when is the next party? Well, well what, what other gift can I get? Or what other relationships can I, can I hopefully build? There, there's still something that's empty. Proverbs reminds us, listen, there's a way that seems right to a man and to a woman, but that end ends the end of that is death it's destruction so even in these these joyful things our hearts can ache even at the end of joy can be grief i want to challenge you to not allow this christmas to end that way you don't have to to just go through another christmas where there's like this rush and there's some excitement and then there's the 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 crash and the depression and the blues and you kind of like okay well i'm trying to Try to get through January and and move on. Maybe we can make it to to our next vacation or whatever it may be. But the greatest gift that you'll be offered this season is just what we've read. The grace at the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, knowing that it's not anything that you deserve, anything you can earn, but by God's abundant mercy and love for you, He's caused us to be born again. I encourage you to accept that gift of salvation. And if you become a children, a child of God, 
then you can look forward to that promise that he is coming again. We can spend eternity within in heaven so that now, in 2023, going into 2024, your faith and your hope can be, present tense, in God. That's what we sang about in one of the songs that we have already sung this morning. And I'll, I'll say some of the words for you. It'll be up on the screen as well. There is a song, I know it well, a melody that's never failed. On mountains high and valleys low, my soul will rest, my confidence in you alone. Hope has a name, his name is Jesus. My Savior's cross has set the sinner free. Hope has a name, his name is Jesus. O Christ be praised, I have victory. That there is a light, salvation's flame, Christ undefeated, trampled the grave. See now the cross be lifted high, the light has come, the light is won. Behold the Christ. Now notice this last section. There will be a day, my hope complete. Set your hope fully on the grace of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, there will be a day, my hope complete, now home in glory, your face I'll see. No, my pain no more, my fear will cease. I bow my life, I fix my eyes on Christ, my King. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning?